We are very happy to be with you this morning. Bray reminded me that um, that usually this morning is not the most polished material. So get ready for something not formal. All right. Um, I'm Renee. Nope, I'm Ernesto. This is Renee. And uh, we love Living Stones, and we were here for a long time. Um, and now, to start, I want to read a verse that y'all normally read at the end of your service. I'll read it in English, and then we'll have Nydia read it in Spanish. <clears throat> now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory and in the church, in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Y aquel que es poderoso para hacer mucho más abundantemente lo que pedimos o entendemos según el poder que obra en nosotros, a él sea la gloria en la iglesia y en Cristo Jesús por todas las generaciones, por los siglos de los siglos. Amén. For six years of our life, we, every Sunday, would say that verse. If you've been here, you know that that's how the service closes. <clears throat> it was this habit, this rhythm that we had, that we had no clue how much was it was forming our thinking. I wish I could tell you that I'm going to give you all these amazing verses today. But I'm not. I'm going to give you this one that you already know really, really well. But it was this verse, and it was this habit of saying it over and over and over, that ingrained those truths in our minds through was what was one of the crappiest times of our life. So, I'm going to pray real quick. And then we'll move. Jesus, I thank you for this morning. I thank you so much that we get to be here with our friends, and with people that we love, with our family. And I pray that what you have been teaching us would be encouraging. Um, but also that in the ways that we are still very confused would be reassuring for those who are confused. I thank you for being so good to us. I thank you that you've continued to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think. In your name I pray. Amen. Um, so we're going to share a little bit about our family and our testimony, kind of how we came to Living Stones. And so why don't, why don't you start? Go ahead. Kill it. In the mic. Okay. Whatever. We, we moved here um, to Canoga Park in 2011. Um, we came here from serving in um, Ensenada, Mexico. A lot of you know the story of how um, we accidentally got to know the Fullers through um, an email that was supposed to go to my cousin named Matt Moore, but it went to Matt Moore, uh, one of the pastors at Cornerstone. Um, not an accident, right, because God knew what he was doing. Um, but Ernesto came up to look for apartments for us to live here because we were going to be going to um, Eternity Bible College. And he met with Britt and Nydia in their living room. And so I met with Britt and Nydia. Um, and like she said, it was just like we, we wanted to go to school. We drove up. We met with Britt and Nydia. I sat in their living room for about 30 minutes. I remember Man and Karina spying on me from the room. I remember Oran trying to rip my head off and wrestle with me while we were in the middle of a conversation. 
And I remember Nidia trying to keep them out of the living room. And I tried to be like formal, polite with Britt. I didn't know him. And Emily Diaz showed us around the apartment building. Showed us a, a, a part, showed me and Britt an apartment that maybe Renee and I could move into. And then I left. Britt me wa Britt walked me out to my car. And I drove across the street to Subway. And I got a sweet onion chicken teriyaki foot long. <laughs> I remember this is important. The pollo. Yeah. And, and I'm in the middle of ordering. And the man says, what kind of cheese do you want? And it was in that moment, I, I was like, holy crap, this is our home. I know we're supposed to move here. Pepper Jack is what I'd like. And so I go through, and, and it, I, Britt didn't like sit down and convince me to come here. I knew nothing about Canoga Park. I knew nothing about Lanark Park. We have friends in Santa Clarita. That's where we were supposed to move. But something about the spirit working inside of us, which was confirmed, by the fact that I call Renee and I say, we're moving here. She says, why? I say, oh no. <laughs> I really think we're supposed to move here. And so we did. And that was July of 2011. And do you want to do this part? No. No? <laughs> <laughs> and six years went by from July 2011. And, and this group, this church, y'all became our family. And you loved us, and you challenged us, you supported us, you counseled us, you cried with us, you cared for us. You brushed your teeth in front of us. That's an inside joke. That's like the most intimate you can get with me is to brush your teeth in front of me. Here at Living Stones, Renee and I, we learned how to be married. Um, my, when my dad died in 2013, um, it was Living Stones, not the Duke family estate. It was Living Stones that put us on a plane to go to my dad's memorial. It was Living Stones that drove some of you to 10 hours to be with us at my dad's memorial. When we had our first child, Nidia was in the room with us. One of the most intimate moments of our life and marriage, we couldn't have a... Uh-oh. Got it. <laughs> we couldn't have imagined it without living stones. We... Like you do, we stayed at the hospital for a couple days after we had our baby. And, and my mom was there. And her mom was there. But I remember y'all being there. That's what I remember. Um, the gospel had taken such deep root in this community of people that our lives were like so interwoven with each other that you could hardly tell the difference between what the Dukes are doing, what Living Stones is doing. Every decision we made, every thought we had, every car we bought, every apartment we moved to, every store we shopped at, 
was because of living stones. You guys became what God created and designed humanity to be, which is a family. And, but there was a problem. Um, I wronged most of you. We wronged most of you. I developed this weird messiah-like complex where, where our family, we had to do everything. We had to be a part of everything. I was having commitments outside of our home for 90 hours a week over and over and over and over. There was absolutely zero margin in our lives. We didn't believe in or know anything about a concept of Sabbath and rest and a concept of trusting that Jesus would get things done even if we weren't there. Simple conversations that Renee and I should have as married couples, they took weeks to have them. They took months to talk about simple things because we had no margin, because we were overwhelmed. And it started to like really tear up our, our marriage, our home, our relationship with our kids. But sin is not an individual thing. It's not even the nuclear family thing. It affected everyone. Friendships became people that we were bitter with and upset with. People that we loved and cared for as family, that we considered brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers. We started getting frustrated and angry. And there was, no, there was no margin, there was no point in our life where we could step aside and have Jesus transform our hearts, our sinful, nasty hearts and nasty thoughts and feelings we were having. Because we were addicted to just doing, 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 doing. And so sometime in 2016, or 17, I don't remember, 16. This kind of like came to a head. It wasn't like one particular fight or it wasn't like one controversy we had. In fact, we just said yes to one more thing. And that is what broke us. Or that's what God used to break us. That's a better way to say it. We went to this uh, leadership assessment thing through Cornerstone Church in Simi. We thought maybe we're going to go plant a church or start a church somewhere. Thought maybe we'd go take over another church and we would revitalize it from the ground up. And these people, older men and women, experienced in life and ministry, they looked at us. They said, You are passionate. You are gifted. You love Jesus like crazy. But you're about to tear up your entire life. Your marriage. Your friendships. If you keep going like this. If you keep forgetting that you don't need to do everything. But that Jesus has to do most of it. All of it. 
You're striving after Jesus. You're running this this race where you're trying to get it all done yourself and not trusting Jesus is going to be what undoes it all. And so we decided to take a sabbatical from ministry stuff. Why don't you talk about that? Yeah, so this, uh, this time of um, taking a step back and uh, resting and sort of giving us the space, the margins to work on what it looks like to be a family. Um, and that was our sabbatical time. It was hard and confusing, the most hard and confusing part of our lives. Um, How? The what for you was really hard. Um, this isn't on the notes. So yeah, this isn't here. We, um, uh, well, it didn't make sense to us or to anyone we talked to. Why? Um, why we couldn't rest, why we couldn't figure out how to do life um, in the situation that we were in. So being a part of Livingstone, why couldn't we figure out how to do that where we already were? But we just, what we um, couldn't. Um, So that's a reason why we were um, going to Cornerstone, which is a wonderful church, but it is in a community that is not necessarily our cup of tea. Um, so that was difficult that was hard because this is not where we want to be this is not home we had home we were at home Um, yeah and I think what we need to say to all of you is all y'all how about that is we didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> we, we were so confused and upset and sad and there was one morning when we were supposed to go, this is when I realized how confused I really was. There was one morning when we were getting ready to go to Cornerstone, or at least drop our kids off at childcare and go to Starbucks, something like that. And I walked out and I saw that our tire was flat. And I've never been so happy to see a flat tire. Because I knew a flat tire meant we get to walk to Livingstones. And we didn't, we didn't share anything. We just showed up. We saw people that we loved. And I'm walking home and Renee's like, what are you going to do about the tire? I'm going to call Sergio. That's what I'm going to do about the tire. I was so stoked to have a flat tire. Which is silly. But it reminded me and it helped me understand. And it was the first time I think I really questioned whether we were doing the right thing. We kept going to Cornerstone. Filing in and out. Like you do. Sorry. And and then our sabbatical was over. Our, our set amount of time was done. And it was over. And many of us assumed, y'all and us included, we assumed that what that meant, sabbatical's over, we get to come back to Livingstones. 
Like I said, we assumed maybe that's what gets to happen next. I've never woke up so many Sundays hoping something was wrong with my car then during that time. But when our sabbatical was officially over and we stopped meeting with this older couple who was mentoring us, for no reason, we did not feel like we were supposed to come back to Living Stones. And I remember, I remember very clearly sitting in my car across the park and saying out loud things that I won't say on a recording. I just realized I was recording. I was cursing. I was cursing at God because what the four-letter word is going on. This is not fair. This is not right. Why do we feel uneasy about going back to the place where we have most looked forward to the kingdom of God coming? I don't know how new creation works, but I pray that I get to live near most of you. All of you. I just don't know all of you. I, when we were here, we longed so much for the day that all for eternity we would live in community and worship Jesus together. So what the heck is God doing having us still live in Lanark, have to tell people we love and care about that we have no clue why we're doing what we're doing. So we stayed at Cornerstone. And we invested where we could invest. And we met great friends there. And we learned a lot there. But I didn't like it. <laughs> didn't like it. Um, we knew that Cornerstone wasn't our home. And we refused to move to see me. Um, and so we started looking and visiting other churches. Not really. I can. I yeah, can go this. kill it. Um, we were auditing a class at EBC taught by um, a friend um, named Josh Buck. He is a pastor of a church in Northeast LA. We decided just to go visit his church, right? Because we like his class. Let's go visit his church. Um, so we go to Antioch uh, one Sunday. And um, after the service, we were invited to go to a birthday party from one of the members. And we hung out all day at their house. And... Um, Um, we got we got an I can't I can do it when we got in the car um, Ernesto says um, what do you think of Antioch and I said I think it's the first time I just think it's where we should go <laughs> I said yeah I said I think it's the first time I've been to church in, since we left Livingstones and, I, and he said so should we move here and I said yeah um, and to be clear the worship was not wonderful the teaching was okay but it was the birthday party afterwards where the church gathered together to celebrate two single women's birthdays que se unieron a, a, a festejar una cumpleaños de quién? 
they, the two single women in the church. And we sat at this table and we heard English and Spanish and Tagalog and these old Filipino women just kept shoving food in our face. And it was that moment that we knew that's where we should go. And it was a habit of being at Livingstones that taught us that that's what church is. What it means to be the body is to celebrate things together, is to cry together, is to live together. Even though we didn't know them, they invited us in to be part of their family gathering. Even though I don't speak any Tagalog at all, the monolingual Tagalog speakers, they tried as hard as they could to talk to me. And we laughed about words that were similar in Spanish and Tagalog. And so then we decided to move to East LA. And when we, when we were looking to move, we realized, we talked to people there and thought it'd be most strategic for us to move to a, a place called El Sereno. There's no picture, it's fine. Not yet. Um, we moved to El Sereno not knowing anything about El Sereno. We just knew that, that people in the church thought it would be a good idea if we lived there. So then we start telling our family, we start telling all of y'all, moving to East LA. Why there? What are you going to do? I don't know. We don't know. And honestly, I hated the fact that I didn't get to say, oh, I took a job there. I hated that I had to explain, oh, but you're still going to drive to see me? <laughs> Don't you know that's way further from see me? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know. But I think we're supposed to move there. And not different than when I sat in Britain Nidia's living room. And then I went to Subway. With no good reason behind it. Without us having a long, drawn-out conversation, argument, or anything. It was very clear to both of us. This is where we were supposed to move. So following what the Spirit was leading us to do when we moved here proved to be one of the best decisions we made in our lives. So when he was calling us to do it again, we thought, it's probably going to work out. But I didn't know how it was going to work out. And I didn't have details for how it was going to work out. In July, which is, there's no date on my phone. I was trying to look. A couple months ago. This is even my phone. This is a watch. <laughs> and in July, um, my friend Josh Buck uh, took me to coffee. He was the lead pastor at the church, one of two elders. And he said, um, a lifelong sickness has caught up with me. And if I don't leave Los Angeles, it's, it's going to kill me. And despite the fact that that was a hard conversation and a strange conversation, 
when I came home to tell Renee, and in that moment, it started to make sense why we moved to East L.A. The bride of Jesus Christ, his beloved people who live and worship him in East L.A., in English, in Spanish, in Tagalog, these people that Jesus gave his life for were about to go through an extremely hard transition for their church. And we had no clue that was going to happen before we moved down there. We had no clue that they were going to need help with worship and teaching. We had no clue that they'd been praying that a couple would come to lead a Spanish language community group or household. Nobody told us any of that. But then there we are. Pero ahí you think a million things, is this the right thing? Right. You go back and forth a thousand times. When um, it's not just us, it's not just Ernesto and I who miss everybody here. Finn asks about somebody from Livingstones every single day. How's Lucas? How's Oran? How's Travis? I love playing with Travis. <laughs> um, to, to be far away from those boys is hard. Not just for us, but for Finn too. And um, uh, yeah, we asked I still ask, actually, sometimes, was this right, was this right, was this right? But I think that God, in subtle ways, is um, confirming, the, confirming that it is. Um, and it is a small, like, that subtle leading of the Spirit. Because um, it doesn't really make sense in paper. <laughs> The hardest person to tell today, still today, is Finn. I can tell you guys that Josh is moving or moved. You're like, oh, I kind of get it. But this is not a joke. Weekly, Finn will ask me why we moved. I want to live in Hoga Park. And I have to tell him that I don't, I don't understand what God's doing. But I miss them too. I don't need that. But for six years, we kept saying that Jesus is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think. I never asked for this. I asked for, you want to know what I prayed for? I prayed that I'd wake up one morning and know beyond a shadow of doubt that we were supposed to come back for living stones. I prayed that a thousand times. And it never happened. So we moved to a city called El Sereno. Um, I want to teach you what I've been learning about El Sereno. Like I said, we knew nothing about the city. We just knew that some people thought it would be a good idea to move there. Also, rent prices on Craigslist thought it would be a good idea to move there. So, let's jump on that first slide. This is from an LA Times survey that was done, kind of dated. We made the mistake when we moved from Ensenada to here, thinking that Latino, Latino, it's, it's going to be the same. Not the same. 
No, I see why. And so now moving from here to El Sereno, we realize it's not going to be the same. So let's get ahead of it and let's learn where we live. Uh, the average household income there is actually a little bit poorer than in Canoga Park. Um, and in El Sereno as a whole, it's about 80% Latino. Which is kind of the, ooh, look at that, the dimmer. That is fancy. <laughs> Which is kind of like what um, Lanark Park area, the square mile is, about 80% Latino. But the biggest difference is that El Sereno is Mexican through and through. Every restaurant is a Mexican restaurant. There are no pupuserias. Sorry. You could come start one, maybe make some bank. There's no Argentinian food, so we have to make it ourselves. This is a neighborhood that is deeply rooted and proud of their Chicano status as Mexican immigrants. Let me show you this first um, mural. All around, all around our neighborhood, yeah, that one. All around our neighborhood, there's murals like this. And they, um, I, I don't know if it's because we're so close to the arts district or what it is, but although there is fairly high gang activity, they don't touch the murals. I don't know if it's out of respect for the artists or what. This, um, this mural right here says uh, La Vida Buena and it's kind of right by a bus stop and so a lot of people see it every day and like many other like many other immigrant communities there's like this deep desire in El Sereno to make a better life for our families and for our community and yet there is a refusal to adopt the idea that being better means getting rid of our heritage and our Chicano status. There is a violent refusal to anything that looks like trying to make them look more Anglo-American. There is propaganda all over that is anti-gentrification propaganda. There are violent protests that happen for small coffee shops that open up with craft coffee. They are so proud of where they've come from and who they are that they refuse to believe the lie that they have to change to be worth something in this culture. Uh, we can look to the next slide. Uh, this is a, a mural outside of school. You can't really see it very well. But all over the place there's Mayan and Aztec art. You can go to the next slide. This is a um, this is two parts of the same mural. There's a quote on this mural that's from Cesar Chavez. It says, um, "You cannot oppress a people who are not afraid anymore." There is a rallying that exists in this community to resist any form of oppression or pushing down or stay where you are. You can go to the next slide. This is a mural that's on Finn's school. In uh, 1968, there was something called the Chicano Walkouts. And um, students of a bunch of different high schools were protesting discrimination within LAUSD. 
discriminación en, en Los Ángeles, en la, en la educación de Los Ángeles. There were policies where when you were in high school, you had to choose, or the school chose for you, whether you were going to go to a college prep track in high school, or if you were going to go into a vocational track. So they decided in high school which kids were going to go to college, and which kids were going to go to vocational school. Vocacional. There was not one Latino or Chicano student that was put into the college prep track. When students would be tracked into the vocational track, 80% of them would drop out. And the students had enough. And a group gathered together and they called themselves the Brown Berets. And they wear brown berets. And I met one of these students who's about 65 years old now. He was one of the Brown Berets. And he told a story to a group of us that something happened within all the high schools in East L.A., in Boyle Heights, in El Sereno, in Highland Park, where they realized that if they voiced their opinion, if they refused to participate in an oppressive system, then things would change. So in 1968, thousands of kids stood up and walked out of high school and marched down the streets, chanting, made signs about being proud of where they're from. If you Google it, you'll see signs, kids holding up signs that say Chicano means power. Signs. Eh, ser Chicano es poder. And this is the school that Finn goes to. It used to be Woodrow Wilson High. Now it's Farmdale Elementary, but this is the building. To us, El Sereno is the second coolest place on the planet now. It goes Lanark Park, El Sereno. We had no clue that that was going to happen. And it doesn't make it easy right now. It doesn't work for my son Finn when he says, I want to move back to Canoga Park. I hate this place. And I say, but the Chicano walkouts were here, Finn. There's history here. He's like, but there's no Lucas here. So I don't want to live here. When we came to Mana's Quince, <laughs> I had a thought, I sat and I looked around. I was like, how nice of all these people to come to our celebration. <laughs> and I realized, we're the guests right now. <laughs> It's moments like Manas Quince and the women's retreat, which I went to and didn't get a shirt for. <laughs> and this morning, that are super hard. Because we pull up and Larry's cleaning outside and all this flood of emotions comes to our hearts. What are we doing? Why did we leave? But we do believe and Jesus has proven faithful to do more than anything we could ever ask or think. So let me leave you with very three, three very, that's what I'm trying to say. I don't know, short, muy, muy short um, <laughs> uh, encouragements for living stones. I want to tell you what we miss more than anything here. 
There's a commitment here in Living Stones that we haven't found anywhere else that Christianity is not an English-speaking religion. That God created every single person in here with a heart language and He loves to and desires to be in a relationship with you in the language He created you to speak. There's also a crazy commitment to the mission of the church here. It's not good to compare your church to other churches, the mission of the church. But y'all are my church anymore, so I'm going to compare you to everyone else. If the average church would adopt and care for and be passionately loving their communities like Livingstones does, the world would look crazy different. We've been different places that we visited and we wonder, I won't say what we wonder, we've been impressed and almost ignorant to how how committed this people is to this place. When we were here, we didn't realize it. We thought it was normal. Then we go other places and find out they know nothing about their city. They shop 15 miles away. They don't care or love about their city. They're just there for church. And last, which is probably clear, is family. We did not realize how much of a family we had become with living stones. And like I said, it's the hardest thing about not being here. And yet I do believe that Jesus is doing more than we could ever ask or think according to this power, this spirit that is within us to glorify Christ Jesus and the church. Jesus knows what he's doing. But it's only the habit of telling myself that over and over and over that we can believe that. Let me pray. Jesus, I thank you for our family. Thank you that we get to worship you. Thank you that we get to love you. And Jesus, I am... I am immensely grateful that the reason it hurts so much to not be here is because of how tightly you wove our lives together. Jesus, I pray for those who this may be their only church experience. That they would realize that this is a family who fiercely loves them. In your name I pray. Amen. All right. I'm going to sing a song. But it's going to take me a sec to switch over. I told you how um, how one of the things we love about Living Stones is a commitment that uh, Christianity is not an English-speaking religion. Jesus doesn't just speak English. He speaks and understands all languages. And he created all languages to be this diverse, beautiful picture of his people in his church. This is going to be tough. 
When we went to Antioch, about 40% of the people there are Tagalog speaking. Tagalog. I don't know, that's how they say it. <laughs> and they, uh, I talked to a bunch of the Tagalog speaking believers there. Even the ones for whom English is kind of tough. But they don't read their Bibles in Tagalog? They don't pray in Tagalog? They've never heard a sermon in Tagalog? And they had never worshipped with a group of people in Tagalog. Some of these people became believers in the Philippines. Filipenses is the book. Yeah. Um, and that broke my heart. So I invited this man to my house who's from Manila. He's from the Philippines. And I had him spend about four hours teaching me three lines. And we sing a song on a Sunday morning in Tagalog. And people who've been believers for 15 years came up to me afterwards in tears because they never worshipped in Tagalog. They've never seen white people try and sing their language for the sake of honoring them. So we're going to sing a song. And the chorus is going to be in Tagalog. We'll hit it about three times. Just try. It took me four hours. So y'all just try.